Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Church of God is not an institution. The institutional representation of church is something that has, has brought a lot of discouragement in the hearts of many young people globally. But our representation of church, in fact the biblical understanding of church, is that church essentially is a family to which you belong. Okay, And so um, it's wonderful. And in family, you are home. Tell someone, welcome home. Okay, It's home, okay? And home, I often say home is a frequency. Home is a sound. You know when you're home. By the vibe in the house. Right? My neighbor tells me, whenever the boys come home from Cape Town, my two eldest sons are living in Cape Town. So they'll, Jane, my next door neighbor, will say, oh, I can hear Matthew's back. Just from the noise, and obviously he's a musician, so piano is being pounded away, and uh, lots of singing, etc., so, and even if I come in from going out in the day, I come in, I park my car and wake my way up to my house, I can hear the vibe that all my kids now are in the midst. Tell your neighbor, home is a sound. I'm not talking about literal sound, but in the spirit, you'll pick up a frequency to which will connect to your, to your spirit, okay? Now, I want to continue on the series that we are still currently pursuing, and that is Grace Reigning Through Righteousness. And I want to finish off the message from last week. We left last week's message hanging in the midst of nowhere. Now, in last week, I taught of the necessity of spiritual fathering for overcoming sin, and that no person left to themselves outside of the oversight of the direct involvement of a spiritual father who speaks the word of God into your life, because in that word is grace. So when grace comes to you, that grace in you that you received through the word of the Lord, given to you by a spiritual father, that grace will enable, will equip you, will empower you to overcome sin, to overcome your weakness that you struggle in. And so it's very, very essential that everybody relates actively. Everyone say actively. Not just politically. You cannot just be politically correct and say, I have a father, there he is. But you, you're, not, you're not observing the protocols governing the relationship. It's not a matter of identifying a person. It's a matter of actively engaging in the process of being fathered. So fathering takes place like this. I father you by by preaching, teaching, counseling, suggesting, advising the word principles or biblical principles to you. In that word is grace that you need to, to um, form the quality of your spirit such that you can be strong in spirit and then command your soul, like we said last week, instruct your soul to in your body obey God. Okay? Now, outside of the Father, 
speaking to the son in that respect, the son is left very little chance to overcome the world. Now, Jesus is the pattern son. When I say pattern son, he's the template, he's the standard. He came to the earth to show all men how men can live successfully like sons of God. He took on human form. The Son of God became the Son of Man to show sons of men how to live like sons of God. Even when you're reading John in your Bible readings this, uh, throughout December and early into the first week of January, when you read John's Gospels and you observe Jesus, the Son in action, you must always read Him like this. I'm reading Him, studying Him, to see how He behaved in various contexts. Because His model is my example. So I can look at his life, and when I study his word, that word grants grace to me to be like him in my generation, in my world. I can live successfully in life as he did in life. But he, too, didn't come as an angel from the heavens as a fully grown man, 30 years old. God put him as a? seed into the womb of a woman, Mary. God had to subject him to every human process that all humans would experience, not so? So we grow up and experience all the things that humans will experience to show humans that any child born can be successfully living as God's son in the earth, pleasing his father. Part of his process then, God would take him and subject him to Mary and Joseph. He had to, this is quoting Luke chapter 2, the Bible says, and he subjected himself to them. Everyone say subjection. So the word is hupatasso in the Greek. It means he allowed them to put his life in proper order, proper arrangement. So the subjection of the Son of God, he by his own example demonstrated to us that even he, Needed oversight. Those to whom he was submitted. Needed oversight to arrange his life properly such that by the time he was 30, the heavenly father then said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That announcement or affirmation from the heavenly father only came to him when he was 30. But from 12, as we know it, When the Bible says he subjected himself to them, between 12 and 18, there's one singular verse in the scripture that that describes 18 years of Jesus' life. There's 18 silent years. And there's one scripture classifying 18 years. The scripture is, and he subjected himself to them. And it says, and he grew in wisdom, in stature. In favor, grace with God and men. So who wants to grow in grace? Come on, you want to grow in grace? You see, grace reigns where? In righteousness. And remember, let me just say this. When he came to John and he said to John, baptize me. John said, you need to baptize me. Jesus said this, suffer it to be so. Now, for thus it becomes us to for for what? To fulfill all righteousness. When Jesus subjected himself even to John's ministry, you see, Jesus is constantly bowing. 
He's greater than John, but he says, you baptize me. What's that? That's lowliness. That's humility. That's constant subjection. If you're ever going to go to the top, deal with your pride. Pride's going to kill your destiny. You have to learn the art of subjection. Learn the, the discipline of what it is to bow to another. And Jesus said this, you have to baptize me. Suffer it to be so now. In other words, let it go, John. Don't fight this. You have to baptize me. And he makes this statement. For I have to fulfill all righteousness. Everyone say all righteousness. So there's various departments of our lives in which we must fulfill the requirement of righteousness for that department of our lives. Not so. But for spiritual fathering and sonship, there's a requirement. What I'm seeing in the global body of Christ, and I travel extensively, so I'm authorized to make this assessment. Many people embrace fathering, but not many people are observing the protocols governing the relationship. Because if you truly do, it will require everything of you to submit. You hold an opinion in the mind, but when you, when you engage your father, you have to say, I see you not as a man. I see you as a representation of, of God himself. So when you speak, you speak as the Lord, not your own mind, thoughts, will, opinion. You speak representatively of, on God's behalf. And that process is critical if ever we're going to mature in grace. So I would say, just as he submitted himself to be baptized by John, so too did he submit himself for 18 years to Joseph and Mary as spiritual parents so that they can put his life in proper arrangement. At the end of that process, when he was 30, and what does 30 denote? 30 is the number of maturity. You see, the road to maturity is through the process of submission to oversight. When he comes there, heaven open. Everyone say heaven. Many people want an open heaven, and you say the heavens opened over Jesus, but look at his process. Nothing in God just happens. Everything in God is a matter of results, of a process. People want product, but not too many people want process. We want end result, but we don't want the journey. Your journey is as important as your destination. I want to encourage you. If you're in a place called maturity, then learn the art of submission because fatherly oversight is designed to mature you, watch, in your righteousness so that grace will reign in your life. Right? Grace will reign in your life. Okay? So I have a father to whom I am submitted. I'm not a loose cannon doing my own thing. My personal life, my marriage, this entire church is submitted to Pastor Thamon Naidu. Right? It's every right to challenge us, to correct us, to put us in, in line. Anybody that is unaccountable is headed for disaster. If no one can, can, can account for you or check you when you are wrong, for example, that person is headed for certain disaster. So tell your neighbor submission. Right? Now, and then I looked, at, I'm going to go to the verses we did last week. I'm going to get to where I need to go. We looked at several verses, for example, where Paul as a father would say to his son, Timothy, my son, flee youthful lusts. That's a father talking to a son. The son left to himself will not overcome naturally the challenges that the world presents to him. 
every son needs fatherly oversight, fatherly discipline. It has to, you have to relate to a father who has the word of the Lord to impart grace to you via that means. You must accept the discipline of a father. You must hold up under it, as we said last week. Last week I said to you, for example, that Demas was a close associate with Paul. But he forsook Paul, having loved this present world. Why did Demas forsake Paul? Demas has forsaken me. Why? Having loved this present world. So, watch. Yes, Paul, Demas, present world. Worldly systems. Worldly temptation. Challenges. Paul says, this guy, Demas, let me demonstrate this. Come get him. Rakim, you want to help me? Okay, yes, Rakim is Paul. Okay, and here's your son, Demas. Okay, big Demas. <laughs> and uh, Mark, you can stand there. You are the present world. So, just hold your father. Paul and Demas. So forsake him and go to the present world. Paul said, he, <laughs> Paul said, Demas forsook me because he loved something else. What Paul was saying is, so long as he's with me, that thing got no hold on him by virtue of what I mean to him and provide for him. Word, grace, empower him. Come back. Now you are Lot. You are Abram. And you are Sodom. Right? Similarly, the Bible says, Lot, first hug your father, Abram. It says, Lot left Abram. And come here. Don't go right there. It says, he just went a little way. But he wasn't facing that away. The Bible says, he pitched his tent towards Sodom. After a while, he's swallowed up into its culture. Because he knows, so long as I'm with Abraham, listen carefully what happened. I believe what happened in this case was this. Lot harbored carnality in his heart towards everything that Sodom represented. But he knew Abraham will be intolerable of that. So I cannot abide in this context where that inclination will not be tolerated. So for Lot, it's, it's, it's convenient to go so I can give vent to this outside of the auspices, oversight of a spiritual, of a spiritual father. Come back. Now you Jesus and you Judas and you greed, covetous, love of money. <laughs> okay. same, same principle. This guy walks with Jesus for three and a half years. Judas must be the most powerful man on the planet, I think. To see all you saw, to hear all the sayings of Jesus that you did, to walk so closely with the man and still not realize what he represents in his person and his purpose. Okay, hugging a little bit. Okay. And listen carefully. Jesus knew all the while that he would betray him. And very often, uh, John 13, verse 2, I think it is. You know the scripture, we went through it, where it says, Satan entered during supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas to be, betray him. Look at verse 27, I think it's 27 or 29, right down the chapter where it says, and Satan entered Judas. Right? After the morsel, after the eight, the last supper, Satan entered him. Go back to verse 2. 
the devil put into the heart. The word heart can also be translated mind. So Satan inserted a thought, betray him. Why was the thought accommodated? What was Judas's preeminent problem? Greed, love for money. So if you don't deal with the little thing, it gives exposure to the devil to lead you into a greater sin. Right? So, amazingly, you know, after John 13 verse 2, the Bible says he still washed everybody's feet. Jesus still washed all of their feet, including this guy. I'm still thinking, Judas, after that, something should have still clicked. Here's this, you can't just see what the man represents, but listen carefully. Greed was so powerful, it blinded him spiritually to what the person and purpose of Christ represented. You must be careful that you don't de- if you don't deal with sin or certain proclivities quickly. What it does is it blinds you to what even a spiritual father represents in your life. Right? You know, I used to, okay, let me just finish this. So you loved him, you know, okay, three and a half years, right? But then greed, you see, enter the heart of the thought, and then at the bottom of this, of this passage, entered him. First entered the heart, now entered him. And Jesus said, whatever you do, do quickly. Do it, do it quickly. <laughs> do it quickly. So go to your, and express your covetousness and get your 30 pieces of silver, one for each year of Jesus' 30 years of preparation for ministry. Right? Okay, let's give these guys a hand. <laughs> now, in each case, Lot with Abraham, Demas with Paul, Judas with Jesus, each one left the safe zone of dwelling near to a father. Everyone say dwell near. Everyone left the safe zone. You know, Peter almost fell because the Bible says after he was arrested that Peter followed afar off. Right? Afar off. And Peter realized if I maintain my distance, a little girl questions me, remember? Aren't you one of his? And the Bible says, he cussed, he swore, and he says, I don't even know the man. And so you deny the source that fed you for three and a half years. Because you followed too far. You followed afar off. Tell someone, don't be too far. I'm not talking about your physical presence. I'm talking about your internal demeanor. Because some people might be physically present, but they're far in their hearts. Even Jesus says, you worship me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. There's, there's often the disconnect between words espoused and where the state of the heart is. But those two things must be together. It must be true that for you then, the scripture that says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will, the mouth will speak. Okay, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. Okay. Now, I want to read to you a bunch of scriptures um, and then go on. Should be starting now. Listen carefully. I want to encourage you for your, your range of discernment to grow. To see what's in front of you in terms of the Father that God has placed in your life and to accept His Word, not as His opinion but as the word of the, the word of the Lord. Amen? Now, John 5, 37. I'm going to run through some scriptures. 
you do not have his word in you, abiding in you, because you do not believe him whom he sent. Jesus said, I have, I'm paraphrasing, I have come from the Father. I am the one sent to you. You do not believe me, therefore his word does not abide in you. The principle is, if you don't accept the one that he sent to you, his word cannot abide in, in you. You prove that his word does abide in you by receiving the one that he sent to you. In other words, okay? Second scripture. First John 4 verse 6 says, We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. How can John be so audacious? How can you say a thing? We are, John says, we are from God. Anyone who knows God will do what? He will listen not to God. He will listen to us. So those who listen must regard us as the one sent by, by God. Okay? He who is not from God, this is serious, does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth from the spirit of error. Okay? So John is saying here that if you, if John were preaching to you right now, John would say this to you. Anybody here who listens to me, now I know you are from God. If you don't listen to me, I know you are not from God. So ask your neighbor, are you from God? This is serious. Listen carefully. Listen carefully to what you know, John was very bold. For those of you reading his Gospels and his epistles like we did the last time, he makes a bold statement. You accept my word, now I know you're from God. You don't accept my word, now I know you are not from God. Jesus said, if you accept me, my word abides in you. You don't accept me, my word does not abide in you. Watch this next one, Acts 13 verse 15. After reading the law and the prophets in the synagogue officials, sent to them, saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. So they say to Paul and company, Hey, you have a word? You have a preach? You have a teach? You have a word for us? You know, people want a word. You want a word, then tell us. So Paul uses the occasion. Check what Paul says. Paul stood up, took advantage of it. They want a word, so he stands up. Motioning with his hands, he said, Men of Israel, you who fear God, listen. What he's suggesting. Anybody here who doesn't fear God can leave now so I can have those who fear God. What Paul was saying is, I only want those who fear God to give me a listening ear. So you open your ear, you receive the word of the one sent to you, and you prove that you are validly from God. By how you accept the one that is sent to you. Do we all understand? Okay? So tell someone next to you, fear God. He says, now I know you fear God, right? John 6, 28. Therefore, they said to him, what shall we do so we may know the works of God? Jesus said to them, this is the works of God that you believe in the one that he sent, right? This is the work. What shall we do to see the works of God? This is the work of God. Just believe in the one that is sent to you. John 20, 21, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. 
the Father has sent me, I also send you. Is Jesus sent? Question, yes or no? So what does he say to the disciples? As he sent me, I send you. Okay? I send you. John 13 verse 20 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. So we put all these scriptures together. The Father sends Jesus. Jesus sends the twelve. He says to them, anybody else that receives you receives me and the one who sent me. So when you receive the one sent to you, you're receiving the entirety of divinity. But you know what our problem is? We think humanly. Our mindset is too, so far lost from God's original purposes. We see a man. We regard him after the flesh. We see race. We see color. We see education. We see social standing. And we appraise a man by human estimates. You must always train your mind to appraise a man not by his race, but by his grace. What is the grace content in him? Right? Otherwise, you, somebody sent from God could be near you, and you could miss it because you're looking at the wrong thing, using the wrong yardsticks to assess something. But if you know that something is of God, you would gladly embrace him and in the like manner receive the Lord. Okay? We could have done one more role play here. It would be the father with the young son. And remember, he asked for his inheritance prematurely. And he left his father's precincts, his father's house, and he went to wasted on riotous living. Remember? He would land up with the pigs. And the pig's voice became louder than his father's original voice. Right? Some, and the Bible says there was a famine in the land. Sometimes God will order a famine to speak to you. Because maybe circumstances have a louder voice than the voice of God. I'm saying, I'm saying to all of us very seriously, don't wait for a famine to come to yourself. Because the prodigal says, while he was in the pigsty, he says, my servants feed better than I. He did not say the other son. Watch, watch the mindset of the prodigal. Because he had an older brother. He wasn't firstborn. An older brother was firstborn in the family. He doesn't even reference sonship. He says, my, my son, my eldest brother, with my father's eldest son, hasn't left the building, hasn't left his father's grace. He says, let me go one lower. Servants, they are feeding better than what? I am. I will go back to my father. But when did he say that? The Bible says he came to his senses. What caused him to come to his senses was God ordered a famine for him. And I'm saying to all of us, yeah, this is a serious word to us today. Listen to me carefully, listen carefully. I'm saying to all of us, don't wait for circumstances to get so bad in your life for you to make a firm resolve about a matter. Right? Because sometimes your circumstances can so dent your identity, you will relegate yourself to servanthood. I will, I'll go back as a servant when your father is waiting to receive not a servant but a son and to reinstate you not to servanthood but to sonship and so i posted this luke 15 18 his words were 
I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Did not say I have sinned against you. I have sinned against what? Come on, work with me. I have sinned against what? What is heaven? Heaven is God's throne. Earth is his. For throne speaks of rulership, government, authority. Right? So when he says, I have, I have sinned not against you as a man per se, I have sinned against the authority, the purpose, the will of heaven. But it was in your sight. Watch. Everyone say, in your sight. The King James says, before you. The sin was before you, but it was against heaven. So any violation before a valid spiritual father is a sin against heaven because the father represents all that heaven is. Right? The authority, the will, thy will be done on earth as it, as it is in, as it is in, in heaven. Okay? So the prodigal came back and he realized, let me just say this to you. People think, Violations against spiritual fathering is light. It's not light. Biblically, it has a very serious consequence. Okay? One of Noah's sons uncovered his nakedness. And his grandson was cursed forever. Right? There's some like long, enduring consequences. That's how I would encourage you to start to practice this with your biological parents. Honor them. I wish my parents were still alive. But before both of them died... Renee and I did our best to honor them. Our desire was that they finally come live with us in their last days. And we had them both living in our outbuilding. And ultimately, when my mom passed away, my dad came into the house, Andy. And I did everything within the means we had to demonstrate to them how much we love them and how much we, we honor them. I want to encourage you to not cross the line of dishonor in reference to earthly parentage and also in reference to spiritual leadership or spiritual Fatherly, okay? And you know, where was the oldest son? I won't go to the details. I wish I could go to the details of the story here. Uh, look at verse 14, just quickly. I want just to one thing. Before I go there, I want you to say this. When the youngest son asked for his estate, his inheritance, not so. When does, an, in the natural, when does a son get an inheritance from his father? Upon the death of the father. When a stepson asks for his father, give me it now, what's the son saying to the father? You are dead to me. You're here, but you've got no voice to me. So give me my inheritance now. But the scripture, if you read it carefully, says, and he divided his inheritance to them both. In other words, he gave the elder son too at that point. Although the elder son did not request it. Read the scriptures carefully. He divided his inheritance to them both. So the older son got twice. Because he is firstborn. By law, every firstborn must get double portion. That's why the older son was more lost when he said, I've been with you when the younger son, I've been with you all this time, and you've never given me nothing. He was telling lies. Or, or, he does not know what he has been given. You can be so close to a man and not access the vastness of the grace, inheritance that you do have. 
And then some other Johnny come lately comes. And he's, and he's accessing the... And you can say, but what? But You see, the father said, you are with me always and everything that I have is yours, my boy. By the way, you, you know this. The younger son said, I will arise and get up and go to my father. The older son in the field said, the Bible says, and he arose and went to the house. One son came to the, younger son came to the father of the house. The older son came to the house of his father. The younger son came to the person. The older son came to the context. You, to get the blessing of the context, you've got to link to the person. Yeah? Got to link to the person. In verse 14, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began, and began to be Im, impoverished. So he went out and he hired out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent to him into his field to feed swine. Look at the King James. Amazing. Watch. He went out and he hired himself to one of the citizens of a country. Sorry, joined himself. Everyone say joined himself. This phrase fascinated me in the week, that the prodigal son joined himself to the wrong person. In other words, he was joined to his father initially, vacates his father's precincts, and he links or connects to the wrong principle. Tell someone, don't, go, don't connect to the wrong principle. I'm going to cancel every inaccurate connection in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of us are connecting to the wrong thing. And guess what? Only ruin awaits you. Only disaster awaits you if you join yourself to the wrong thing. Now, I looked up this word. It literally is ka-ko-la-hoa. It's a difficult word to pronounce. Ko-la-hoa. It means to be glued together. When it says he joined himself, he was glued to this guy. Some of us need to unglue, to make cohere or to adhere. Right? The way it's used in the New Testament, it suggests strong affection and deep intimacy. Everyone says strong affection and deep intimacy. I don't know why we're lingering here. This is like supposed to be a bypass point in my notes. Maybe the Lord's saying something here. Be careful that you don't join to the wrong person. Tell someone again, be careful. It's suggestive of deep intimacy and affection. This word how it's used in the New Testament. For example, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 16 says, Do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? So anybody who seeks the services of a prostitute and you have sex with a prostitute, guess what? The scripture says, you have become one. The sexual act binds or joins people. That's why if, if, there's, if there's sex, for example, outside of marriage, and there's repentance, there must be a deliberate breaking of that soul tie. Deliberate breaking. Must cut it off once and for all. Amen? For, the, for he says, the two shall become flesh, but he who is joined himself to the Lord is one spirit, it, it, it compares sex with the prostitute and how that binds and joins souls 
Then on the other hand, it says, but he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Everyone say join. Same word is used when it says, and the young son went and he joined himself to a fellow citizen. You can use your imagination as to what went on there. Right? Acts 8. Yeah, this, this I love very much. Acts 8 verse 29 says the following. Watch. The Spirit said to Philip, get up and go join this chariot. Everyone say, join this chariot. Philip ran up and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. This was the Ethiopian eunuch. He was traveling on a chariot. He was in Canaan, in Israel, but he's from Ethiopia in Africa. He's an eunuch. He's a high-ranking governmental official that served in the king's royal courts. So he's not just anybody. He's not a lighty. This is, a, this is the main all, right? This, this is the guy. He's high-ranking. And he's reading the scroll of Isaiah as he goes, specifically Isaiah 53. He's reading. And so the Holy Ghost says to Philip the evangelist, Philip, one of the seven deacons, says to him, you go and join yourself to his chariot. And as he, Philip, run, he sees a chariot, I can picture running. Flags the guy down. Can I come aboard? Because the Lord said, I must join myself to your chariot. And Philip ran and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said to him, do you understand what you are reading? He said, well, how could I unless somebody guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. I won't read the rest of the text. You know the story. Philip, the Bible says, began to explain to him how that that text speaks of Christ. The guy opens his heart, receives Jesus as Lord. They pass by some water. The guy says to him, yeah, it's water. What's forbidding me from being baptized? They got out of the chariot. The Bible says went down into the water. Philip baptized the guy and the Holy Spirit took Philip away quickly. Assignment done. My point is, you see, your chariot, tell someone you've got a chariot. Your chariot must be joined, listen carefully, to someone that can explain the scriptures to you. Your chariot must be joined to someone that can watch. Because when the scriptures are explained, grace, everyone say grace. That's what we're after because when grace comes, grace will cause you to reign in this life. And overcome wickedness, overcome carnality. But you have to be joined to the right source. So please don't, you see the Bible says of the prodigal, he joined himself to a citizen when his father was waiting. And you know the Lord spoke to me about this. Because sons do mess up from time to time. Right? Not you, other, other, other people. <laughs> and guess what? The father realizes, and every day the Bible says he waited for the return of the son. The son knew and had courage enough to realize, if I go, I will be accepted, because he knew the heart of his father, not so. I want to say this to all of you here. Listen carefully. If I function representatively on God's behalf as your father in Christ, I speak for an A and I when I say this. No matter what you've done, no matter how badly you've messed up, we will always be here with arms open wide to receive you back and to restore you 
to your fullest estate. This is what the Lord spoke to me on Friday. I, picked, I was searching for pictures of Father Prodigal. A picture I did, and I sent it on the WhatsApp group to you. I, was, I looked at oh, that one really spoke to me. And I saw the expression on this father's face. And the Lord said to me, Randolph, if you function representatively of me, when sons who have messed up come back, and they want to come back at a lower level, servanthood, you say no, sonship. Come back at the higher level, put a robe on him. What did the father put? Three things. A robe on him, a ring on his finger, and shoes on his feet. The son, the father did not address the son's wickedness straight away. Not so. Didn't say, I told you so. Where have you been? Where's my money? <laughs> you wait. What happened? The son was so glad he came back. The son did not immediately address his inclination to lascivious, licentious lifestyle. You see, Apostle Thamo, if you're tracking him recently, he said this. This is where I got the principle from. He said, when the prodigal came back to the father, the father first reinstated him into sonship before addressing any deficiency in him. Because once your identity of son has been restored from that powerful position, you can overcome everything. Yeah? The Bible talks about a robe of righteousness. I believe the father put a robe of righteousness on him. Sin, the ring, sorry, sin. The ring speaks of authority. Those who wear signet rings have authority. And shoes speak of preparedness for service. One of the armory in the New Testament, in the armor for the Christian is, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's preparedness for service. Father said to him, I reinstate your righteousness. I reinstate your authority in these precincts. And I reinstate your eligibility for major service. That's love. Yeah? You know what the Bible says? If you read, I was fascinated by the story this week. I don't know why every day I've been reading it. The scripture says carefully, he waited every day. Not so. And when he saw the sun from afar off, opened the door. Everyone do this. <laughs> He ran towards his son. You see, all that the father needs is one simple initiative that you are coming back. If you one simple initiative that you are coming back and the doors and the heart is, is open. One thing. Fathers look for signs. Fathers, there are some of you that have showed interest in studying more than what I'm preaching. This, I'm going to slow here for you. You want more. This and more. What I've done, some of you have come home. I've printed materials for you. Bound them. Given you more CDs. See, the scripture says, if you draw near, I will draw near. When the father saw the son coming, he went. But do you know, the elder son was in the house, but in the field. You can be in the father's house, but you are so concerned with the father's field where the resource is, that you forget the Father's principles, which is house denotes. And when he reinstated the younger son, you know what the Bible says? And the older son inquired of a servant what's happening, and the servant explained, and the Bible says, and he would not come into the house. Because the father is reinstating a lost son. Huh? By the way, what was the words of the father? My son, which was dead, is alive. 
My son which was lost has been found. So anybody outside of spiritual fathering is dead. Anybody out of spiritual, outside of spiritual fathering is lost. So you have to come back to find your life and your place. The older son, while he never left the father, did not fully imbibe the principles of his father's house. And he stubbornly, I just he pulled up, I'm not going into the house. The servant said, but your dad wants you. No, not going. The Bible says, and the father came out to the son, to where he was. The father came out to two sons. He ran after the younger, but he also pursued the older. All fathers will pursue all sons, no matter where they are in their journey, in reference to sonship. And I'm saying, brethren, you see, the father to educate him, all that I have is yours if you only open your eyes. I already divided my state to you when he left. Because the Bible says he gave them both. But you have not accessed it. What are you saying? So long as you have me, you have everything I stand for. Who loves the heavenly father? Amen? We must love the heavenly father. In Luke chapter 22 verse 31. I wanted to do the, role, the, the case study of Jacob's obedience to his father and his brother's disobedience to his father. The, Isaac was both the twins, Jacob and Esau. Isaac, their father, told them not to take daughters from the sons of Heth, not to marry the daughters. Isaac, Jacob obeyed, the Bible says, the voice of his father, but Esau disobeyed the voice of his father. The Bible says, when he saw that the daughters of Heth Canaanites displeased his father. He went in to marry them. That's bad. When you know what your father stands for, it was clearly made known to you. And then Hebrews 12 verse 15. Just look at that one, Luke. Hebrews 12 and verse 15 says that, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, um, that many be, thereby many be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like, Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal or for a bowl of soup. That was his first problem. Esau had carnal inclinations. Satisfy the flesh. He was hungry, right? I'll appease a momentary fleshly desire, which will last one moment. I'm hungry. Now I'm satisfied. But in the process, I will trade off something profound, spiritual inheritance, birthright privilege. It's very dangerous. Watch. I'm sounding out a warning here again. Don't trade your spiritual legacy and destiny, spiritual future, to satisfy your flesh. A satisfaction which will be momentary, but a result which will be long-lasting, eternal. Esau had this problem. Then when the father warned him about inaccurate marriage, he went to marry the wrong girl. And the Bible says, this is the conclusion. Verse 15, he fell Short of grace. Don't fall short of grace. Okay? Uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Luke 22, verse 31. Jesus prays for Peter. And he prays that Peter's faith fail not. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith 
may not fail. And you, when once you are turned again, strengthen your brothers. I like this phrase. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked permission from me to sift you like wheat. Now, everyone say sift. You you all know what a sieve is, eh? you know, when you refine in sand, flour, whichever. Um, The word in the Greek is senazio, which means to shake violently to and fro like grain in a sieve, a sieve, figuratively meaning to agitate or to prove, shake about through various trials and tribulations. Who feels like you've been sifted? (laughs) Trials and tribulations, right? So watch. The Bible says Satan asked permission of Jesus to shake Peter about with some serious trials and tribulations. By the way, what is the purpose of sifting? Why do you do it like in baking? To refine, to make it for more productive use. So the purpose of trials and tribulation is to refine your character, to make you prepared for more productive use in God's kingdom. Right? Next year we'll deal a segment with trials, understanding adversity. Right? Who feel like you've never left the sieve? It's like, this is one, life is one massive sieve. I'm being sifted. But watch, any sifting is by God's permission. Jesus did not say, I did not give him permission. There's no indication of that. He just said, I have prayed for you. Right? So is Jesus praying for you when you are, yeah? The Bible says he's a, we have a high priest that is an intercessor interceding for us constantly, not so? So he's always praying for you. Principle is this. So long as Peter is within the precincts of Jesus' prayer focus, the, the intended destruction of Satan in sifting Simon Peter will not have its destructive intent, but a constructive one. Right? So long as, what's the prerequisite? So long as you stay within the range of a father who prays for you. Now, the prayer of a father you must never underestimate. I, you know, I got three boys, right? There's the last one there, the back, and my daughter, Lat Lamaki Reith. And I, I recall times when I would pray for the boys, when we had the first two of them, and any parent is concerned that my children make the right decisions growing up, etc. I recall times of serious prayer when I said, God, Pray for Matthew, pray for Liam, and I would pray strongly. I would pray like it's life or death. I would pray that my salvation will not be complete if they're not saved, if they're not in the kingdom, and not just saved, but if they're not purposeful and intent on fulfilling kingdom purpose. I would pray with the idea that I would literally feel incomplete if that does not happen. It was a desperate prayer. Let me just say this. I want to encourage every mother, every father. When parents pray, it's powerful. When authority figures pray, it's powerful. Jolene, pray for your girls. When you kneel and you pray for the girls, you take up an authority in the spirit. And God responds to that prayer. When Hannah gave Eli, what's it? Samuel, remember to Eli the priest. I believe she uttered prayers that, were, that moved the heart of God. 
as she gave her son over to kingdom purpose. Amen? Remember the song? Somebody's praying for me. Somebody's knocking on heaven's door. Somebody's praying for me. Somebody's lifting me up to the Lord. I want to encourage you. Pray for your children. Let me read to you in closing. Tell someone we are now closing. <laughs> Let me read to you how Paul the Apostle prayed as a spiritual father for spiritual sons he led and some of the outcomes in those people's lives. Watch. 2 Thessalonians 1.11. Because of time, I'll just give you the catchphrase. 2 Thessalonians 1.11. He says, we pray for you always. Colossians 1 verse 9. Paul says to everyone in Colossae, we have not ceased to pray for you. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 9. This we may also pray for, that you might be complete. Philippians 1 verse 3 and 4. I thank my God in my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all. 2 Timothy or 1 Samuel, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 3. This is a son praying for a father. Paul praying for Timothy. I thank God, etc. As I constantly remember you in my prayers day and Think about this. Timothy knew somebody's praying for me. Somebody's knocking on heaven's door. Somebody's praying for me. Somebody's lifting me up to the Lord. Who values the prayer of someone who's prayed for you? I call, I call my mom. My mom's nickname was Sheila B. Affectionately <laughs> known as Sheila B. She was a praying mother. I am what I am today because somebody prayed for me. Yeah? Yes, a prayer warrior, yeah, Auntie Rita. Elaine's not here, but she's a prayer, prayer woman of note. Hey, Lisa, that's why you're here with the girls. Yeah? We had a powerful time on Friday night at Elaine's home. I went to visit the family. And just, the, I believe in the council, and the, sense the presence of the Lord, just fill the house and the lounge. But I realized even when I was there, and everything, amidst everything we spoke about, the, and I looked at your mom sitting there in the lounge, I realized somebody prayed. This doesn't just happen. Somebody somewhere was on their knees calling unto the Lord. Let me just say this to you. Like Paul prayed for Timothy, prayed for the whole of Colossae, I pray for you. Even when I'm not actively praying, I've installed you into my spirit. And my spirit makes constant prayer to the Lord. I had the most beautiful experience last night. I woke up with, in my dream, I was talking to God. And I was preaching to you in the dream. But it was so, so much revelation and such a flow. I got up with the shock. I couldn't remember a word of it. Got my pen. Oh, I must get these thoughts down before I lose them. And I couldn't remember one thing. And the Lord said to me, this is not for records. <laughs> I just want to show you how that if your people honor you as they should, when I speak through you, they will find this flow of river 
a river flowing unimpededly. Amen? So let me just say this. What Samuel said to Israel, and I don't want to come here ever in my life. 1 Samuel, 20, 1 Samuel 12, 23. We close with this. 1 Samuel 12, 23. Samuel was a prophet and he says to Israel, Moreover, as for me, be it far from me, that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Paul, sorry, Samuel, as a leader, says to Israel, part of my responsibility is to pray for you. And for me, as a leader, it would be a sin on my behalf if I don't pray for you. I want to say this, and I hold you in prayer constantly. But tell someone, so somebody's praying for you. But tell someone, you're going to make it. That's supposed to be the main crux of this message. But we'll get there maybe next week. Tell someone, you're going to make it. I'm telling all of you, no one here is going to fail. In the name of the Lord Jesus, none of you here will be lost to the world and to its vices. All of you here will make it. We are going to make it, and we will make it strong. You know two things that Jesus said to Peter? He says, I have prayed for you. But he, he said this to him, but when you are turned, what must you do? Strengthen your brothers. This is the result I want to see. I pray for you, but once you are strong and you are now turned, then as you've received, give to others. Strengthen the brothers. Stand with me and hold somebody's hand. Come on, strengthen the brothers. Hold somebody's hand. Hallelujah. Just tell your neighbor, strengthen me. <laughs> Hallelujah. The Lord is building such a strong sense of family amongst us. We must love each other and mutually honor each other as the Lord would give us ability. And I want to encourage us all Never to leave fatherly precincts, fatherly oversight. And not to join yourself to the wrong citizen. He joined himself to a citizen. Your chariot has got to be joined to a fuller. If you're gonna, a chariot speaks of momentum and movement. If you're going to find momentum and movement, you've got to be joined to someone that can come on board and explain the scriptures to you that can change your life for forever. Whether you're the prodigal or the older son, both sons were lost. In most of your Bibles should read, the heading should be, the parable of the two lost sons. Not one, one son was lost outside, other son was lost in the house. Both were, the father searched for both equally. And he brought them back into the fold. So come to yourself. The Bible says he came to himself, I will get up and go back to my father. Now, this world is so encouraging in my own heart in reference to my spiritual father. I'm getting up and going back in ways that are, I've never gone back before. Not that I've departed wholesale, but I want to tweak certain areas and say, no, I'm never leaving fatherly precincts because there, there's grace for me to overcome. There's somebody's praying for me. Even Satan can have permission to do what he wants to and throw what he wants to, but I will never be destroyed because somebody's praying for me. Amen. Come on, just pray for each other. Just pray for the person next to you while you're there. Just offer up some prayer. Just pray for your brother. Pray for your sister. Hallelujah, God. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, Lord.
love you, God. We bless you, Lord. Worthy of glory and honor and praise. We bless your name. You are worthy. Worthy. We're coming back to the Father. Coming back to you. Coming back to the Father. Back to the Father. Coming back to the Father. Coming back to you. Lift your hands to Him. Coming back to the Father. Coming back to the Father. Coming back to the Father. Let's sing the song, Heavenly Father, to God. Coming back to you. Coming back. Coming back to my Father. Coming back to my Father. Coming back. Coming back to my Father. I'm coming back to you. I'm coming back to my Father. Come, let's come back, church. I'm coming back to my Father. Oh, yes. Coming back to my Father. Coming back to you. One more time. Coming back to my Father. I'm coming back to my Father. Coming back to my Father. Coming back to you. Father, we thank you that we can come back to you by receiving the ones that you have sent to us. Because you said that if we receive the ones that you send, we receive you. So God, we come back to a place of honor, respect, and appreciation for your word vested in spiritual leadership. And oh God, we thank you for this dynamic. We bless you. We honor you that we are not orphans. Thank you that we are not fatherless. Thank you, oh God, that you are our heavenly father. We love you. We appreciate you. And you come represented in those you sent to us. Today, God, we come back to our estate. We come back to firstborn realities. We come back to the full estate of our sonship identity in you. Thank you for what you mean. Thank you for what you represent to us. I pray great grace and peace be on the house upon every family, every child, every young man, every young woman, every mother, father. I ask, oh God, that your grace would saturate every single household in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pronounce the blessing of the Lord upon you that makes rich and brings no sorrow with it. May the Lord bless you, church. May you excel in all that He has called you to do. The Lord bless your rising, your sitting down, your going out, and your coming in. The Lord lift up the light of His countenance. The Lord shine His face upon you, give you peace. And the Lord bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord Jesus a hand of praise. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord.